0: I'm Kelsey Zeiser. I'm a senior editor at Light Reading, and we're here at the Boeing facility in El Segundo. And I'm joined by Ryan Reed with Boeing. Nice to see you.
1: Thank you for being here.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for having us. I really enjoyed the tour. Um, It was just uh, a little bit overwhelming, though, (laughs) (laughs) to see everything on such a massive scale. Um, But something that was interesting, I thought we talked about uh, this morning, is just how you know the uh, the size of the satellites mm-hmm. has gotten so much smaller. Can you talk a little bit about um, that journey and and how uh, you know you talked about software defined satellites? How that's been important to um, I suppose reducing some of the hardware required.
1: Well, um, I would say the software defined aspect of it isn't so much about reducing the hardware. It's really about increasing the capability. Okay. So maybe to kind of start there. You know the the term software defined is used a lot nowadays, and probably means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So what it means to us, what it means to me here, is uh, the you know the the ground system that controls the network that's providing the service to to the users so SES providing you know all of their capabilities to their users how effectively does the satellite as part of that network seamlessly integrate and that's really what we look for it's it's more than just can it allocate you know power and bandwidth to different geographic regions it's really about how well can that uh, can that happen and how precise can that happen and how say, quickly and dynamically can that happen as the needs of the network change. And that, that's really the, what we look at. It. And, that, and that drives the technology. From a size perspective, there's really sort of two parts to the size. Uh, with some of the technologies we've developed for o 3 bm Power, uh, there's a very high level of integration. So a lot of work that's done on silicon that has traditionally been done in discrete components, cables and waveguides and units, what have you. Uh, and also, you know, we really... Um, Needed to solve an economic problem to be able to launch multiple satellites at the same time, and so that also drove us to to design a system that was very compact and efficient, uh, mass efficient because mass, you know, getting mass to orbit is challenging, and so our ability to launch two, three, four satellites at the same time was really an advantageous value proposition.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, in terms of um, the partnership with uh, SES, you know, you talked about um, their ARC um, mm-hmm. platform and uh, uh, what are you looking forward to uh, in terms of the technological advancements with the Empower satellite deployment? What, what are some of the things that you're most excited about?
1: Well, so uh, I think it's been exciting throughout this journey as you know, we've collaborated very closely with SES throughout this development, really from day one. They presented us with, they really presented us with a network problem. And so we had to kind of step away from traditional satellite payload communication payload technologies and bring something new into the foray to solve a network problem. Through that journey, um, you know, we've seen you know, with SES engaging with our customers, engage with the market, finding new ways to use that technology. I, think, uh, I I think of flexibility, like why flexibility? Why do we care about flexibility? Flexibility creates opportunity. Flexibility creates freedom to explore, to broaden your market space, to try new solutions to traditional problems. And we've seen a lot. Uh, we've seen a lot of that happen throughout the development. A lot of new ideas come in. It's like, wow, I didn't realize we didn't even think about doing this before. And so I'm actually really excited when these get deployed to see how these are used in ways we haven't even thought of yet, because the flexibility enables that kind of uh, that kind of capability.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, what what are some of the advantages of deploying MEO versus Leo satellites? I feel like in the news, you're hearing a lot <laughs> about the Leo is just getting <laughs> front and center um, time. So, so what's the advantage of a MEO um, constellation?
1: Sure. Well, uh, I mean, the main difference between MEO and, and Leo, medium Earth orbit and low Earth orbit, is the distance from Earth. So. Um, With a medium Earth orbit, you need a lot less satellites to be able to provide global coverage than you do with a low Earth orbit system, where the the view, the amount of Earth that you can view from a single satellite is, is much, much smaller. And so, in this medium Earth orbit uh, that O3B and Power is going to be residing in, uh, it still provides you the fiber-like latency—you know, 100-ish milliseconds round-trip uh, latency—while uh, not requiring thousands of satellites to to provide that coverage.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the tour, you were talking a little bit about applying uh, terrestrial um, service provider technology or uh, to. Uh, these satellites, you know, five G came up, which <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if if anyone's completing a bingo card, the, they can check off five G. Like, oh, I didn't think we'd bring that oh, up this we're bingo. This we part. got it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so, how are how is you know the five G core and and things like that uh, playing a role in in satellite
1: technology? Well, really, you know, your your smartphones today have a very high degree of integration on silicon, and uh, a lot of that is is underpinning uh, the expansion of five G. Right, the ability to get really high bandwidth into very small form factor devices. And so um, at Boeing, we have for a few decades now taken terrestrial uh, ASIC technology, terrestrial silicon technologies, and adapted them for use in space. So with O3BM Power, we've done, done really the same kind of approach, uh, taking Uh, silicon chips devices that were designed for terrestrial 5G applications and adapted those technologies to be used in space to give us the same kind of flexibility and uh, scale and capacity that you can get in in terrestrial devices.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't want to make you redo the whole tour, the (laughs) wonderful tour you gave us earlier, Um, but uh, if you could just, um, for our audience, go through um, a few of the the uh, processes of getting a satellite into space, um, especially in terms of testing. I mean, you talked about um, thermal, also, you know, shaking the, <laughs> the satellite. Um, what are what does that process look
1: like? Sure. So, uh, so of course, it all starts with an idea. It starts with a design. And we have just a tremendously talented team here at Boeing that, you know, covers a lot of different engineering disciplines in order to bring these systems, these designs into reality. Uh, and then we hit the factory floor. And that's where our team of skilled technicians, you know, takes the components. We're, we have a lot of vertically integrated uh uh, items here. So we, we build a lot of our own uh, electronics, propulsion systems, et cetera. We bring those in and we build up the spacecraft. And once the spacecraft is built, now it's ready to go through its kind of very rigorous environmental testing program. And that was some of the things we saw. You know, the, the ride on a rocket is a, is a harsh ride. So we need to simulate that to make sure not only the design is going to survive that launch environment, but even from a workmanship perspective, was it all put together correctly? And so we put it on a vibration table and we we shake the heck out of it. We put it into an acoustics chamber where we uh, simulate the acoustic loads that the spacecraft sees during the ascent of the rocket. And we also put it into a thermal vacuum chamber. So we we take all the air out of the chamber. We... um, uh fill the walls with liquid nitrogen, we put some heater rods next to it, and so we can simulate, you know, the side that sees the sun is going to be, you know, 250, 300 degrees Celsius. The side that is facing uh, cold space is going to be negative 250, you know, to negative 300 degrees. And inside the box, inside the satellite, it stays a nice and balmy 25 Celsius. Mm-hmm.
0: That is quite a lot to account for, (laughs) all those different um, temperature fluctuations. Um, Anything else that you wanted to add in terms of, um, you know, specifically with the um, O3B Empower, in terms of the connectivity services that will be able to be provided? Mm I also think uh, you all mentioned it was, uh, I think 5,000 beams. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some other capabilities that you're excited about with, with this constellation?
1: Well, so um, the current uh, generation of, of O3B satellites that are operating today that, that uh, SES deployed and kind of proved that there was a market, that there was a need for this kind of connectivity, those have 10 beams each. And it's a typical hub-and-spoke kind of network, you know, all the, the data transacts back through a gateway, gets distributed, um, with, and so that's 10 beams. And with each of our O3BM power satellites, there are actually over 5,000 beams. And those beams can be kind of any point to any point. And so whether you're, you know, you you no longer really have a kind of a gateway hub and spoke network confine. You can do, you can set up localized uh, networks, in-country gateways, set up your own bespoke networks point to point business to business communication. So it's really kind of flexibility on any point to any point. Just like a, you know, I, I always refer to these as like a layer two switch, a layer two network switch in the sky. You know, you're really unconstrained by where you want to route where you want to route traffic. And you've got the capacity with the number of beams to be able to, you know, keep your users at the kind of peak optimal operating point to the beam follow users, you know, as they're moving around, you know, the satellites are always moving. So effectively every user on the planet is now a mobile user and being able to keep all of those users always at optimum performance, um, is, is all part of the system.
0: And I imagine having that, uh, you know, factor improvement of, of beams is also helpful for underserved areas. I mean, you talked to Rui about um, serving different environments in Africa, for example, that might not have the fiber infrastructure.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think this is one of the things when, when we first sat down with SES and kind of envisioned this next generation system, I'd say for me personally, that was something that really, that really, that really grabbed me, right? The ability to connect people in underserved regions that are just not economically viable to do with, you know, terrestrial fiber. Um, you know, I'm a, you know, a connectivity person at heart, a communications person at heart, and the ability to globally connect people is is exciting. Um, you know, when we look at the amount of capacity and back to this kind of 5,000 beams, if you only have 10 beams, you have to be very careful where you put them, right? If you put them over a region, uh, now they're there, and you have to make sure you have enough subscribers or enough users in that region to really take advantage of the capacity. When you have thousands of beams, now you can um, cover more areas and, and sort of be less reliant upon the economic value of any individual one because you have that scale. So I think that gives SES as an operator uh, greater flexibility in, in really providing that broad connectivity to, to the world's population.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, anything else that you're looking forward to in this partnership with SES? I mean, I know the line. The long- Launch coming up <laughs> toward the end of the year. Just in time for Christmas,
1: right? <laughs> it's going to be a great Christmas present. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, so this is really just the beginning. You know, um, uh, you know, O3B Power is a huge leap forward in um, providing the connectivity that SES is, is, has been providing to their customer base. And the ecosystem they've built around it is is tremendous. And I see this really as it, it's a quantum leap forward. And it's just the beginning. So we're already in discussions with with SES about what, you know, as the markets continue to evolve, as our global demand for connectivity uh, is only increasing, what are new ways that we can serve those needs and... You know, it's, it's, it's exciting.
0: Yeah, certainly the demand's not going anywhere. And I think COVID <laughs> kind of reinforced that, especially sure. with everyone at home and online all mm-hmm. the time. On so,
1: podcasts.
0: Yes. <laughs> well, thanks so much for your time, Ryan. It was great speaking with you.
1: Thank you. And it was my pleasure. Thank you.